0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
1: There's a big learning curve
0: with welding.
2: Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com
0: slash metaverseimpact.
2: Today's guest on the Mike Wise Show is one of the all-time great coaches in NBA history. He's also an author, a former TV analyst, a two-time cancer survivor, and is number six on the all-time victory list. And he's coming right up. But first, Darlene, do your thing.
1: The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike?
2: Yes, Darlene, that is true. Thank you again. Today's guest is a little of both. George Carl has led an incredible basketball life. He played college ball for the great Dean Smith at North Carolina, played in the ABA and the NBA for the Spurs, and went on to coach six NBA teams between 1985 and 2016. And he also coached in the old CBA in the EuroLeague. Welcome, Coach.
1: Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you having me and uh, have a good time with all this.
2: Well, um, I should say, uh, um, early happy birthday. I believe you're turning 69 years young um, um, on Monday when this comes out.
1: Yeah, May 12th, uh, I think it's my birthday. I don't know. There's some famous guys. I've scheduled all the famous guys born on May 12th. and Maybe John F. Kennedy, Yogi Bear or something like that.
2: Yeah, but neither they all had decent lives, but neither one of them had to make Sean Kemp and Gary Payton coexist. That that was more important <laughs> than anything they did.
1: Well, I've had some uh, some great characters. I've also had some great talents. Unfortunately, we have won enough games to survive a long time and you know, I I I always think coaching basketball is people say, you know, I I don't want to say it's not work but all I know is going to a gym every day is there's always some fun to be had and <laughs> some connection to be had. So, you know, I was very blessed to be able to go to the gym, which was my office.
2: Um, I, was, I was thinking out loud um, about how everybody and their moms got a podcast. Now you have one it's called truth and basketball. How has that been?
1: I actually enjoy it. I I was surprised by how much I've actually enjoyed it because I think on a podcast, you go deeper. You get a little more soulful. You can ask questions and you can swear a little bit and you can yeah. maybe express the passion and the emotions of of a story a little bit more. Uh, and, you know, I, I I think what's funny is the people that came to me to put this on, you know, t- one, wanted it to be truth in basketball. I kind of like the, the idea of truth in basketball because uh, so much of, I think today's media and interviewing process has a spin or a perception to it. You know, and, and I think uh, telling the truth uh, is something that I think the game of basketball actually needs. I think everything needs. I think our world needs more transparency and the, uh, and I think the game of basketball, even though I think it's a great place, I think honesty is the best policy.
0: Oh,
2: well, I, one of the things I I loved when I did cover the NBA for the New York Times and later wrote a column for the Washington Post is you were uh, you were one of the most transparent people. There was no bullshit. There was sort of, if if you liked something, you said so. If you didn't like something, you said so. And um, And irrespective of how that made people feel it was uh, it was authentic and we didn't get a lot of a authenticity um I, I one of the things i like about the league now is guys are starting to speak their mind irrespective of where you fall on the political spectrum i love the guys are putting themselves out there and saying hey hey you're a lousy president or um or, or i think i think black men getting shot by law enforcement in this way is wrong and we need to fix this in society I like that there's kind of a renaissance of social conscience among uh, athletes and guys aren't just uh playing it safe so they can protect their endorsements.
1: I agree with you 100%. I think um uh, especially now I think we're in, in a with the pandemic that we're we're confronting and facing every day. You know, I, I think crisis creates uh, evol- evolution. I think crisis creates us to think and find answers um uh, to not only the pandemic but some of the changes of our society right now that might have to be in our society for a year or maybe two. And I think the more we get the I, I've always felt that the more information you get, the more the better the better answer you'll have. Uh, you know, I, I started I started coaches meetings about ten, fifteen years ago. And I, I really, I really want my assistant coaches to tell me what they think. I don't, I don't want them to hold back. That they, you know, that if I made a mistake in a strategy or a game, I want them to call me out. And you know, we can argue, we can fight, but when we leave the room, we're all together. We're a team, and we're unified in what we decide on doing.
2: Mm. You, I, that I like that because there's so much. What do you call it? Toxic top down management in a society that doesn't even have to do with the NBA it's nice that obviously you there's one leader but if that leader can hear from everybody and uh and, and impart some of their stuff just it's a better it's a better environment to work in do you um uh there's not much basketball going on I I think you're in Colorado um how has the COVID-19 changed your world at all out there? Well, you know,
1: I'm a, I'm 69 years old. I'm a male.
2: I've had cancer two
1: or three times, and uh, yep. so I I check all the, the negative box of probably I should stay hibernating in my house as much as possible. <laughs> my older my older kids uh, feel that I shouldn't go out of the house very often. I actually have gotten out and played golf. They um the golf course is out here about ten days ago and. I got out one time, and I'm going out next week. Some, so I I ride a bike. De- Denver is a big biking city, so my exercise program is riding a bike, and uh, uh, inside or outside. And uh, the weather has been great. Denver's a, a fantastic city. It's of all the cities I've lived, I think this is the one I'm going to pick to hang out with the, the rest of my life. And. Um, just, just missed the game of basketball. The Nuggets here, the Denver Nuggets, are a good basketball team. I I don't know if they're good enough to win a championship, but I wish I wish they would have had an opportunity to maybe grow up and learn about that process, and hopefully that, they will still have that uh, that possibility in the near future.
2: I love that team. I uh, uh, not because the uh, just because they're successful, and you know, I think I think I think Malone's a heck of a coach. And I also think that um, you know the players like Jokic. It just makes the game so much easier. I remember when we talked long ago. You know, we were in a we were in an environment where kids getting out of school just didn't trust their teammates, and it was just about so much isolation going on. And you know, you as as anything as anybody's found out the last few years in the league, you move the ball. It makes life easier for everybody. And and Jokic is a classic. You know, shoot, he he might be one of the best interior passes I've seen since Walton. Almost just a really fun guy to watch.
1: He's incredible, uh, Mike. I'm going to tell you, people, you know, because he's in Denver and Denver gets some some national publicity, but yeah, uh, he he's he's a top, he's definitely a top ten passer in the game of basketball. Period. And he might be a top five passer of the game of basketball. That's how talented he is. He sees the game. You know, he does a lot of point guard things. Uh, they run the offense for him, probably 75, 80% of the time. And he loves making his team happen. I mean, he, it's, it's not an ego thing for him to score points. It's an ego thing for him to probably get triple doubles. I mean, he really enjoys the process of passing the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, his only weakness in my mind is, is uh, probably his pick-and-roll defense. And uh, he's gotten better there. He's improving in that area. And they're a good young team searching for a personality of being a, a championship team.
2: Have you, uh, there's not much hoops going on lately, but the last dance has kind of <clears throat> taken, taken the country by storm because it's the only basketball out there. Have you been watching it?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I'm 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 a Michael Jordan guy, you know. Yeah. He's, he's a part of the North Carolina fraternity. Yep, he's been a great, he's been a, I think a great ambassador not only for basketball but for North Carolina. I think the first couple episodes, you know, I enjoyed it because he talks like a Carolina basketball player. You know, we and you know we got to be be together and we got we got to stay connected and. All the all the things I think his foundation came from Coach Smith, which is where my foundation mm-hmm. came. And I think it's really fun to listen to one of the, you know, in my opinion, the best player to ever play the game. And his roots being from Chapel Hill, kind of turns me on and makes me feel excited.
2: Yeah, it's, I have a confession <laughs> because I guess I, I, I when I finally got my job in New York, I was it was, 90, it was after the Bulls had won their first three. So by the time they played you guys in the championship, which was uh, the finals that year, they had just become like the Beatles. You know, they'd become so big and they were almost imperious. And, you know, the it was hard to cover them if you, you weren't a network partner. And it's sort of like getting close to anybody there was tough. Obviously, Steve Kerr was good and and a couple of the other players. But, but you know, it just was really hard to get close to anybody there. And Phil was a little aloof. And I shoot, I, I want to say, while people wanted to see the Bulls win that title, a lot of the country was rooting for Seattle that first year. And I just, boy, I, I was, I don't know. I, was, I just, the whole thing was like, Jesus, Michael, can't someone beat you? And then when I started watching this last dance, man, seeing them get the first taste of it, I really started to like Michael and what he was about. Beyond all the hype, just the, the competitiveness, the, the idea of, <clears throat> Giving yourself to the good of the group, and all the things that Carolina taught him, really.
1: Well, you know, when when I, I I've been I've been blessed to play golf with Michael. He hang, he 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 hangs out with some North Carolina, you know, parties that we have. He comes back every once in a while. He doesn't come back all the time, but Michael is very comfortable in who he is, and he's very you know he's somewhat confident, which he should be. But you know one thing I like about Michael I think he handles almost any situation you know he can walk in and if it's a blue collar you know situation he'll handle that if he has to wear a tuxedo he can handle that He has a smile on his face he has a he has a charisma to you to him
0: and he had it when he
1: was like 20 years old I mean, mm. I mean had to, you know he might not have been he might have been naive when he was younger but I think he's evolved into a really great ambassador of the game. And um, I'm just a proud, I'm, I'm proud of him being from Chapel Hill in North Carolina.
2: Yeah, I, it's it, I, funny, I, it doesn't matter who I run into Michael Korn, or uh, shoot Stewart Scott when he was alive, everybody, it was like, there, there's such a UNC brotherhood. It's very unique in the world of basketball. You never see guys running around going, Hey, I, he's a Loyola guy. Or he's a uh, he's a Santa Clara guy. He's a Fresno State guy. God bless my alma mater. But Carolina guy—that's a saying. Doesn't matter if it's Larry Brown. Doesn't matter if it's you, Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins. It's just a thing. And what what is why is there such a UNC brotherhood? Why are all the players who played for Dean so devoted to him?
1: Uh, I think it's the uh, and the reason is we're all loyal to Coach Smith i mean uh coach smith i would say a vast majority of, of the players that played for coach smith look at coach smith as their second father and uh, you know he was more than a basketball coach i i speak all the time on leadership and coach smith was a better coach of men than he was of basketball you know he kind of you know he kind of always wanted to know what was making you tick and and what was important to you and then he would he would always bring people into your life that could mentor you in the way that he thought was what you wanted uh you know i had back surgery my freshman year in college and i got in the film room with coach guthridge and coach smith a lot in my freshman year and that was the beginning of my roots of of trying to be a coach you know and then you know after my senior after i graduated he got me to be an assistant coach with Larry Brown on a USA team that went to Russia, and then I learned I learned the game of basketball from a different guy, Larry Brown, who's brilliant and and a great coach. But you know, I I got the same wisdom, but with different words and different stories and different explanations. So, coaches, uh, and not only you know, Coach Smith doesn't do this as just basketball. He's as proud of his lawyers and his doctors and his entrepreneurs that have gone on and have had great success. Uh, and and they're all welcome in the program as as alumni of the program. And if you were a starter or if you're a 10th man on the roster, Coach Smith valued, valued you and made you feel important. The,
2: um, you became head coach of the Cavs, I think, at just age 33. I, that's pretty young to get a job that age, I mean, in the NBA. I mean, nowadays, they're, they're hiring kids, but back then, they didn't do it. What, how'd, you, how'd you get that gig?
1: Uh, you know, the story, I, I believe, is, I don't know if you knew, a, a, a there was a scout, a player personnel guy by the name of Al Menendez.
2: Oh, I remember Al Menendez.
1: Yeah, Al was in New Jersey, and Harry Weltman was uh, looking to hire a a personnel guy when I was coaching in Great Falls, Montana, and Harry wanted to hire Al. Al Al didn't want to leave New Jersey, and Al recommended me, and that got me in, in the door with Harry Weltman, and they had a team that was kind of plateaued in Cleveland, and I I did a year of scouting and college scouting and worked hard. And I think Harry Waltman liked my work ethic and he saw that. And towards the end of the year, uh, Don Nelson called me up and said, Hey, George, I want you to come to Milwaukee and be an assistant coach with me in in Milwaukee. So I walked in Harry Waltman's office and I said, Harry, you know, I said, I appreciate your your opportunity to get me back in the NBA. But I want you to know there's a possibility that Nellie wants me to go with him in Milwaukee. And I want you to know that I want to get back on the floor, that I don't think I want to be in the front office. I, I think I want to be on the floor. And, you know, Harry said, I understand, I respect your request, but I want you to know there's a possibility that we could be making a coaching change here. And the ownership thinks that you would be a candidate for the job. And so I was shocked at that, and I, t- I called Nellie up and said, "Hey, if I have a chance to be a head coach, I think I want to stay here." And, uh, somehow, some way, went through the process. They interviewed three or four guys. I think it came down to me and Dick Carter. And some reason, uh, Gordon Gunn and Harry decided to pull the trigger and give me an opportunity. And I don't even know if you remember, at my start, I started out two and nine, two and nineteen. Uh
2: two and nineteen.
1: Two and nineteen, and made the playoffs. Uh, that's and
2: incredible. I I would have fired you at two and nineteen if I was an owner. I would say ninety five percent
1: of the city of Cleveland had me fired. <laughs> but you know, the, one of my best years of coaching was we turned it around. We made the playoffs, winning I think thirty six games, and wow. we played the Celtics in we we played the Celtics in the first round. And every game we lost in you know it was a five-game series we lost three-one, but all four games were we had to lead or was tied in the last two minutes of every game, mm. and so they were all close games. And of course, you know, as I I learned in my experiences as the coaching, close games are usually won by the better team or the more experienced team. And of course, the Celtics were they won. I think the Celtics, yeah. Celtics won the championship that year. They went on to win the championship.
2: Yeah. That was one of the best teams of all time, that 85-86 team, Celtics team. That was incredible.
1: They were very skilled, very, very, very talented. Very talented.
2: Yeah. um, Once um, a while back when we we spoke um, a long time ago, I had um, interviewed – Uh, you and a bunch of other uh, Chris Weber and Jerry Colangelo kind of did a state of the game thing. And I looked it up and you had a great quote, like one of the great quotes of all time um, that I remember. And I I, I basically asked you, what would you give advice? uh, What kind of advice would you give a young NBA coach? And, and um, your, your answer was, I don't know why I win basketball games other than I think my players play hard for me. Players know that I care and that I want to win, and it possesses me. It possesses me to where I destroy friendships. But there's a passion to what I do in basketball that my players know. you got to have energy and you got to have the passion and a love for this game to be successful in it. I, I love that answer. Do you have any regrets about re- friendships that were destroyed? <laughs> or,
1: uh, yeah, my regret, my greatest regret is probably my, my older children. You know, I was possessed to be a, a really good coach. And every day I woke up, my, my, my life was based on, on, on coaching and, and going to work. And I was a little bit too much of a workaholic. And, you know, my older daughter and my, older son, my oldest son, um, you know, we've talked about and I, that I might have cheated them some. And, you know, I, I was a part-time parent. And... An MBA, an MBA coach is on the road and out, out of the city half the time, and then probably half the other time. I was possessed on trying to be as good a coach as I could be. So uh, that's the one regret I had. I, I, I've had a couple of bouts with cancer, and after my second cancer, I learned to balance my life a little bit better for, for four or five years that I coached after my second cancer. And I wish I had learned that earlier in life that I would have. Given more time to the people who were supporting me the people who love me and, and of course we grew up to have a my family I'm blessed to have a really feel a strong connected family but I think I cheered them somewhere along the way
2: well and you I'm, a, I'm an old dad I got uh, I'm 56 but I feel like I'm emotionally about 20 I've got a nine-year-old five-year-old nine-year-old boy five-year-old boy and a and a two-year-old daughter. You, I understand you, you've got a teenage daughter now.
1: Yeah, I, I started a second family, and my, I have a daughter that's 15 years old.
2: So she's probably and, getting to spend uh, tons of time with you. I'm sorry? You're, she's probably getting to spend tons of time with you.
1: Yeah, we, and there's much more. I think uh, there's no question that I, I now understand why teenagers drive people crazy, because... <laughs> She is driving me absolutely crazy. I, she is stubborn, opinionated. She's into women's rights, so any any time I have a bias towards women, I get yelled at. uh She's very she's very bright. She goes, you know, she's trying to be a. She actually wants to go to Columbia University right now. That's her goal. Her goal is
0: that. Her
1: her goal would probably be to get a scholarship in soccer. A good soccer program, and i watch not I don't think she'll be able to ever hear this, broad, this podcast, but yep. watching soccer I cannot handle it's It's a very, very boring sport. <laughs> My daughter plays center back, which is a defender, yeah and it's, it's and she's like a relief pitcher when she does her job she just she gets no appreciation if she makes a mistake, it can cost the game. And uh, you know, it's just it's. I mean, other than the goaltender, center backs are the ones that got to make good reads and good decisions and keep the defense together. But when you're threatened, you got to make good plays and good decisions. Yeah, they're
2: like linemen. They're like kickers. You only notice when they screw up. Uh...
1: Exactly, and and you know, she she loves soccer, and but you know what? She also plays basketball. She's a you know, she played a lot of minutes as a sophomore this year on her varsity team here in Denver. And it's not a great team, but I think she actually fell a little bit in love with basketball this past year. So I'm hoping that might go a little bit further. But I don't know if she has enough time to make up for all the time she uh, she spent on pl- kicking the ball around in the backyard. But it's fun be it's fun being around teenagers because. Today's world is a little bit different than, and you know, my my kids grew up in the 80s and the 90s, and, yeah. and today's today's world is quite different than the 80s and the 90s.
2: Oh, just a little, Jesus! I mean, we didn't even have cell. I, I didn't even have a cell phone growing up, uh, you know, until I, you know, got older. Um, do you? Uh, uh, Kobe Kobe is turned into a, a pretty decent coach. He's coaching the Lakers G League team, isn't he?
1: kobe's better than decent i think he's going to be really good i think he you know he and i we talk quite frequently about coaching and yeah and and kobe's other mentor in his life is phil jackson and last summer phil jackson and i and kobe went out to his house in montana and spent three or four days together and it was really fun i mean kobe had to talk me into doing it you know, Phil has probably kicked my ass more than any coach in basketball. And, and I'm going, okay, what? And then I walk into his house and he has all these trophies. And he has all these windows of teams that he beat. He put me in the, the bedroom where it was the Seattle supersonic window. Uh, <laughs> just, so, I mean, there, so it was a really, I mean, there was a lot of subconscious, subliminal commentary going on quite frequently in our, in our talks. But I got to know Phil pretty well, and, I, I, and what's funny, you know, in a, in a strange way, Phil and I are probably a lot alike, mm-hmm. but he does it with a Zen mentality, and I do it like a general mentality, so, you know, I'm more into K, uh, uh, controlled chaos, and I think Phil's more into calm and mellow.
2: <laughs> did you go fishing with him? What'd you do? Did you, did you, sh- did you share some ganja? What'd you do?
1: You know, we took a, I mean, he lives in a beautiful area, so we ran, we drove around Whitefish and Kalispell, and yep. I, I, I spent three, he grew up in Great Falls, Montana, and I spent three years in Great Falls, Montana, oh. and, you know, and then we'd wake up in the morning and talk some basketball and go to lunch, and we'd come back and talk basketball or take a tour of the city or just go out and enjoy nature, take a, you know, we took a bike ride, I think, one time, and uh, I mean, the, the second, and then at nighttime, Phil loves to watch movies. I mean, he loves to watch movies. So we, some, I think one or two nights we watched a movie. It was just a, a kind of a fun thing. And mm. I think Kobe, you know, Kobe is very much into trying to evolve and learn. And and Phil and I are quite different offensively and, and actually quite different probably defensively. But I think it's good to, I think, again, sitting in meetings where the most information and why you did things I think help young, helps young coaches evolve and develop their own personalities.
0: Hmm.
2: That's, that's great that he's getting the sort of he's a mixture of the zen and the general. You, when he gets an NBA head coaching job, he's obviously promised you a job on his staff already, hasn't
1: he? Uh, we've talked about it. I mean, I, I go out to L- LA. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I you know, I, I think he's going to probably have to learn how to tell me to shut the fuck up, but I think
2: I think he's getting strong enough to do that now. <laughs> that that that's that would be a yeah, if he was he probably almost br- he would probably almost bring you onto his staff just so he could tell you shut the fuck up. Basically, that would be part yeah. of the uh, the job.
1: Yeah. That would be fine with me. I'm, i I think. I'm. I think I've learned. I think I could be an assistant coach and 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 yeah. learn to shut the fuck up a little bit.
2: Um, selfish question here because I have a nine year old. He's a pretty good player. He thinks he's going to play at Carolina, but with my genes, he won't get past Division three. But nonetheless, when Kobe was growing up, did did you did you encourage? Did you push him too hard? Have you had any advice for a a dad? whose son loves the game and he wants him to take it as far as he can, but he do not want him to, you know, he do not want to burn him out. What would you say?
1: I, 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 I fell in love with Kobe being with me in the gym. I mean, I wanted Kobe come here. to come to every practice. I wanted him to come to every coach's main. In fact, we just, and on my podcast, Kobe, I think it was released this week. I did a two part podcast with Kobe and we oh. talk about exactly what you're saying. We we talk about how see Kobe wasn't very big. Kobe was six one hundred and fifty pounds to senior at the beginning of his senior year. Now he grew he grew to about six three and maybe a hundred sixty five pounds his senior year. But he was a walk on at Boise State. And he redshirted his first year and went into the weight room and I think I don't know if you've seen Kobe lately, but Kobe's six five, two hundred and ten pounds now. Yeah, and you know he had that late he had that late spurt, and he always had the and he had the little things of basketball. He was a passer. He liked passing. And he was always a good, the great shooter, uh, but he, he liked the game, and and he and he was around Rick Majors, yeah. and Don Nelson and Larry Brown and Doug Moe and. And he was always in our coaches meeting with Tim Gergerage and John Welsh and, and just really great assistant coaches. And, you know, for many years, I would think I was saying he probably's not listening very well, but he listened well. And now I think he's used a lot of that information. But uh, I, think, I think what I loved about Kobe was he was a kind of a gift because I, lo- I loved him being with me. And he never—he wasn't a great high school player, but he became a damn good college player. And then when he made the Lakers, I remember the, the year he made the Lakers. Mitch Kupchak, who's one of my good friends, mm-hmm. calls me and tells me that Mitch—that Kobe. Mitch says, "Kobe made the Lakers," and I just go off and say, "Mitch, that's—that's that's great. Thank you very much. I appreciate you taking care of my son." And he—and Mitch yells at me. He said, "George." You know, Kobe made this team. This is not a gift. Kobe earned this team.
2: Oh, that must have been.
1: Be... That meant a lot to me, and and. I would have cried. And I would again, have broke
2: you know, up crying on the phone if if, uh, if someone said that about my son. That's that's amazing.
1: And you know he didn't get to play much. And you know Kobe and I have actually talked if he would have made another team and gotten more opportunities
2: to play, he might have
1: had an NBA career. But, you know, he had a good European career. He played in Europe many years and made made a, 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 a hunk of money. And, uh, you know, now I just, you know, he's at South Bay Lakers and, and he has a great relationship with the Bus family. Uh, I think he had a really good relationship. He, he basically started his relationship with Luke Walton. But I, I still think, you know, he, I don't know how long he'll stay with the Lakers. And... Uh, but he enjoys being a head coach, and we've talked about maybe it's time for him to get behind the bench or sit on the bench in the NBA. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: But, you know, he, he has a passion for the game, and it's fun to live. It's kind of now fun for me to live basketball through him a little bit.
2: Uh, I think it's amazing. Uh, that, that might be the favorite part of our podcast right there. I love that story. Of Mitch yelling at you and say, "No, he made this team. Like we, he didn't get a he didn't get a gift from another Carolina guy. He made this. I think that's just awesome." Um, I was looking at some of your accomplishments. I don't want to blow smoke because you know what they are. I mean, you're sixth on the all time regular season wins list. sixth in total regular season NBA games coached. Boy, that number six keeps coming up. Six in playoff games coached, and you've been head coach of six NBA teams. And you have a six 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 on your forehead, which you—no, I'm kidding. Um, but, but the bottom line is, I, I, I looked at all these numbers, and I—I I just remember covering the the, the ninety five ninety six finals. I thought to myself, like, do you ever think about the Hall of Fame? Is it something in your head that you think it'd, it'd be great, or, or even does it, does it own a speck of uh, real estate in your head?
1: Ah. Uh... Do I think about it? Um, I think, you know, uh, once a summer, well, all with my family, when we get together, I think my kids want me to make the Hall of Fame. And, uh, and, and yeah, I think about it. But in the same sense, I'm humbled by, you know, my career. I mean, you know, I started out 2 and 19 and I could have been very easily got fired. <laughs> I yeah. was in Madrid, Spain. and coaching Real Madrid, and why did Bob woodsett call me? I, I still don't know exactly why that happened. And
0: okay. and I
1: got back with a team in Seattle that, you know, the team just fit my personality. They needed the passion of the guy that, you know, taught the game the right way. And and I had great assistant coaches with Tim Gerdrich and Bob Kloppenberger, Terry Stoss and Dwayne Casey would come later. Um, and so, you know, we just had a great run in Seattle. And Gary and Sean were young players that were searching for a direction. And once they found that direction, they were fantastic. Oh, And, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, the, the seven years in Seattle, we never won a championship, but that's a pretty good run out there for a team
2: that never won a championship. Oh, I mean, you want, I know mean, you want, you, you average more than 59 wins a season. It was amazing. And what kills me about it, I mean, what, the, the, what I loved and what I feel is selfishly your greatest moment was you're down 0-3 against the Bulls. Me and Frank, I sold the New York all the all the New York riders, everybody in town actually that was that loved Seattle as a city is going ah crap these bastards are going to get swept and we're going to have to leave and go home early. We wanted at least a week here at the finals, and all of a sudden you win the next two games and, and you win the and you send the series back to Chicago, and all of a sudden. We're, the riders are taking ferries out to Bainbridge Island, renting bikes. We're loving you at that point, George. That <laughs>
1: <on>. <laughs> well, Seattle in the, in the springtime and early summer is probably as, be, as 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 pretty as it gets. And um, you know, I've actually gone back and looked at all those games in this pandemic end, situation. And it was two really good defensive teams, and they were just yeah. We couldn't score. Come game six, we couldn't score yeah I mean, we won the two games in Seattle because of our defense created enough offense to get over the hump uh but and and i mean i I think we scored over a hundred one time and only in the nineties like three times, and so you know we were in the eighties, and maybe the last game might have been in the seventies and uh, well, and I was watching that game, and I saw what a difference you know taking hands off of guards is and. The freedom of movement and flow. I mean, that was a that was a wrestling match more than in today's game. It's more of a a track meet, and we and that series was more of a a wrestling match and a lot of a lot of a lot of physicality, a lot of toughness, mental and physical toughness, and and uh, you know, Michael, my, I actually thought we did a good job with Michael most of the series.
2: Guys like Rodman and Kukoc and Pippen were the
1: guys we lost the series.
2: Yeah, yeah. There was a heck of a supporting cast in that. The I'm, one of the great stories that uh, when Jamal Crawford gave us a good hour recently, he said, "You know, I found." Whoa. I said, "What were you doing tonight?" He goes, "Oh, I was, I was working the concessions, helping my sister, and I was just sitting on the stairs watching." And I was going, "Wow, that was a long time ago." But you know, he he almost got emotional talking about losing. Basketball in Seattle, what was that like for you?
1: I'm still pissed off about it you know i well, wow. I have no idea you know it was like there there was something about david stern and and his relationship with the city of not just not the team of Seattle but the government of the city of Seattle and the government of of the state of Washington. I just don't think they I don't think David enjoyed the relationship and uh howard schultz i have no idea what happened there i just i was in i was actually in my daughter lives in olympia now and i was visiting her the day they they, they announced the uh announced that they were moving to oklahoma city and i was driving my car i had to pull off this side of the road and just think about it and I, i'll be honest with you it still angers me today that the city of Seattle doesn't have basketball. I mean, it's just kind of, I I think it'll get back someday. I hope it
2: gets back in my time. But um, you're basically getting emotional about it.
1: Well, you know, there's, I I
2: had, I had an AAU team in Seattle called Friends of Hoop.
1: Mm. It's still in Seattle. I don't have anything to do with it anymore, but Sam Perkins and I started a Martin Luther King, High school basketball tournament when we were there. There's a lot of roots in Seattle that uh, that, are, that are really important to me, and a lot of guys still live there. You know, I know Gary goes back a lot. Sean and Detlef live there. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and and Nate McMillan one of my favorite people of all time, and I mean, it, it was just a great seven years.
2: Yeah. Before we move past the Seattle experience, Sam Perkins told us a story at All-Star Weekend about a time that you borrowed his clothes for a game. Um, I I have to let you hear this because it's because uh, I I didn't believe it. I did not believe it myself.
0: So he comes out, comes out with my sweater on, my mock neck that he stretched to to oblivious. I did not know. First of all, I kept looking at him like, he don't wear the mock necks. So I ain't paying no mind. we I, I don't even know if he won the game. But the point when we got back to the locker room, he takes the the damn thing off and he says, Perk, this is yours. He took somebody else's belt and said, this is yours. He had somebody's jacket and said, I, don't, I, don't, I can't even remember. But I, all I remember is my stretch mock. My neck, my my half-neck turtleneck was stretched to oblivion because his big head went all through it, and then his neck was bigger than mine. And I was like, "No, you didn't." And you know how you know how coaches sweat profusely. This thing was r- ringing. I could not wear it. <laughs> so, it's it's true a- story. It is a true story.
1: There were days in my life. I think when I must have took a sweater that had a hole in it or something like that, and I walked around the locker room finding, trying to find something I could put on. And it was Sam. In what? fact, I think Sam gave it to me. He didn't take
2: it. You didn't take it back. <laughs> well, he's, he said you stretched the hell out of it, and then he said um, he said you wore a teammate's belt and another guy's coat. I, I love that. You just you borrowed an outfit.
1: Yeah, I did. I did that on one game, and I remember one game in Denver. I um, wore um, an Iverson jersey to the game because I forgot because uh, I forgot something else, I a I signed, like, <laughs> <laughs> so, and I wore was jersey. Got fined like ten thousand know, dollars. So, oh, that's connection. great. Try to try to connect with players in any way possible.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think of the ABA. I always liked your off, you know, your offbeat sense of humor. There must have been some craziest ABA story you could think of like that really stuck out in your mind.
1: Well, what's funny is um, um, ABA, I think we, the way the game is played now is kind of where the game was played in the early ABA when the ABA was getting good. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there was more freedom of movement. Our big guys are more shooters than post-up guys. Uh, you know, even though we had some good big guys, but my, we had we had Dan Essel was a great shooter. We had other guys that were 6'9", 6'10", that were shooting three-pointers back then. And, I mean, the way the, the freedom of movement and flow, that, that, there was more of that in the ABA game than the NBA game. Yeah. And I wish they one thing about the ABA that I've talked about is I wish they would – I don't understand why the red, white, and blue ball doesn't come back into the game. I, I just think it, it was a good part of the game. I know the NBA didn't want anything to do with it when we merged, but aren't we over that now? Can't we get to the port of maybe – I actually think, you know, you, every team you play, the ball could be the team colors of the team you play. Like you go into
0: – Oh, yeah. You know
1: – you go into Boston, it'll be green and white, and when you go into Cleveland, it'll be orange and white. I mean, I mean, you can make it. You could make it a kind of a fun, uh, fun thing for I think the fan, and also it'd probably be a money maker for the league.
2: Oh, it's a marketing. It's 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 a marketing genius. I don't know why. They, shoot, they came up with that stupid rubber ball that wasn't even leather for a while. They, that's a great idea. God darn it. Um, a few more before I let you go on April fool's day in 2014, you named your top three pe- rappers on NBA tonight and the internet exploded. I just have to ask, are you still a Gucci main fan?
1: You know something? I've actually listened to Gucci Mane a couple of times and my son is a big rap person. Uh, I forget the guy that he has on his radio all the time. It's as a rapper, it doesn't swear very much, and he talks about community service. And what I've learned through rap is this is poetry. This is old school. This oh. is street hood, you know, in in the hood po- poetry. And uh, and um, I've le- I learned to respect it a lot. But I, it was a hell of an April Fool's joke, and it was funny how much how many people thought I really was into that. But i probably I'm probably not very much into it at all.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, the other one, um, uh, you know, I look back this, every, everything on the internet now, it blows up like crazy. And, but they had this thing last week, like people were saying that Carmelo Anthony was a better player than Paul Pierce. I just, you know, you coached him. Um, like what were your thoughts? Uh, I, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't digest it, not just because of Paul Pierce's, uh, accomplishments, but you know, Mello, I, I like him. I just never thought he gave himself to the good of the group enough. Your thoughts.
1: Well, you know, I I think Mello was the most talented offensive player I've ever coached. Wow. Oh, cool. uh, I coached Paul Pierce in the USA team and Paul was very talented offensively. But I think Paul was much more into being a playmaker, as were Mello you had to force him to be a playmaker and he had to be convinced that he had trouble trusting his teammates in big time situations. And he, you know, he wanted the spotlight probably a little bit too much. Uh, when we, we made the trade for Chauncey, I think Chauncey really helped him understand to be a champion. You had to sacrifice a little bit of who you were. And, um, you know, I, I, I've I've always rooted for Melo to figure it out. To be able to figure it out and come back and, and play a team game and understand that the game of basketball will give you the points. You just don't have to force it. I don't think Melo ever trusted that the game would give him what happened. If he had played the game the right way, the game would come to him. I thought he was doing a good job in Portland this year. Yeah. I actually think he, at times looked like he had figured out that he was – you know, the third or fourth fiddle in the band and that, that you, you can't force the game and you can't make, you can't, you can't make bad decisions. And the game was coming to him pretty well at times. He played very, very well. I think this year.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I it's, it's weird how the game comes to some people later. You're a- it's just too bad that he didn't realize that earlier in his career because he, he had all the gifts. You're right. You had Allen Iverson in Denver for parts of three seasons, Memories of AI.
1: Amazing. Amazing that that body, that small of a player to be as dominant as he was. I think I was getting him towards the end of his career where he didn't have that 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 flashy speed and quickness. I think he was wearing out a little bit. He didn't want to go to the rim as much as he used to do. He used to go to the rim, and I really actually enjoyed AI off the court. You know, AI has this image that he's this you know crazy guy. <laughs> AI is really pretty down to earth, and I think has some family values. And I know that uh, those things never came out in his personality, but I think you know gang uh, you know have going out and practice things and not. And you know the one thing I didn't 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 disturb me, but I realized very early. I think AI was nocturnal. I, I think he I think he wanted to sleep during the day and and go out at night. <laughs> and 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 to overcome all those things, that the size and the ability of the how hard he played and how he got knocked around to play at that level, an all-star level, and and go to an NBA final level. Uh, in that small body frame, well, I mean, he'll be one of the greatest little guys of all time playing this game.
2: Oh, I, yeah, I, to me, like Isaiah Thomas, him, couple others, uh, I you're right, I feel like, I don't know how he moved the little body through all those mounds of muscle and got to the rim so often at that side, but yeah, you're right, it was amazing to watch. All right, I'm gonna let you go on this, you know, in Denver, you had eight plus seasons to success, and you did a lot of stuff but you know in 2005 you were diagnosed with prostate cancer and then 2010 when you talked about early diagnosed with throat and neck cancer you you beat this twice how are you feeling these days i mean you sound good um and uh and and i love that you're staying in but um you you, you feeling okay
1: yeah i um i'm i weigh 228 pounds today and when I was coaching the NBA, I was between 260 and 280. Uh, I exercise. i you know, I'm. I got my 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 eating habits under control. I don't drink as many beers as I used to. Um, I'm I'm hoping to hang around to see all my grandkids maybe get married, mm. and uh, and also walk my 15 year old daughter down the aisle someday. So, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I'm blessed to have enough money in the bank that I can support uh, my family, and uh, I would love to get back in the game in some form or ha- some habit of helping somebody. But if I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna re- re- regret it because I never thought I would coach. His, I coached 1,999 games. Yeah. When I was when I was 2 and
2: 19 in Cleveland, I thought I was going to coach like 40. So, <laughs> That's uh, that, that is amazing. That, talk about sir, when I think of survivor in the NBA, I think of you, sir. And um, it's, it's just one, it's been a pleasure to know you for many years and cover your games, but two, it's uh, it's, it's been even better to um, hear you grow personally as a guy that really, you know, went through, went through hell and came back to realize some of heaven in his life. That to me is just, that to me is a big testament to who you are, more than the fact that you know a shitload more about basketball than I ever will. (laughs) So, thank you.
1: Well, Michael, thank you. It was good good catching up with you. And um, hopefully the podcast, you and Bruce, can get this thing
2: going in a great direction. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I look forward. And and if Kobe ever does get a uh, head job, which I believe he will, I think he should ceremoniously make you the head coach for one game so you get to 2,000, damn it.
1: You know, what's funny is if I coached 2011 games, I probably wouldn't remember it, but I always remember I've coached
2: 1,999. <laughs> <laughs> There's something to be said for stuck on that, yeah. All right, all right. Stay well, stay healthy, and, and I look forward to seeing you in person at some point when all this clears. Sounds good, guys. Thanks, Thanks Bruce. Thanks, Mike.
1: All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Hey.
2: Thanks to George Carl for spending some time with us this week. If we played Six Degrees of George Carl, we could get all the way to Dr. James Naismith in three moves. George played for Dean Smith, who played for Kansas coach Fogg Allen, who learned the game from Dr. Naismith. Boom! Thanks to my producer, Bruce Bernstein. If we played Six Degrees of Bruce, we could spend years trying and still get nowhere. <laughs> Our editor, Ben Wolfen, always gets it done for us. Thank you, Ben. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams drops a new show every Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto and Aaron has a new show every Wednesday. And Monica McNutt has a fresh Buckets, Boards, and Blocks each Thursday. BJ Armstrong, Eric Newman, you know them. They have the Pure Hoops podcast each Friday. And I'm back with a new Mike Wise show every Monday. Please listen, download, rate, and review us. And most of all, yes, enjoy. As we keep battling this coronavirus pandemic, please remember the bravery of our doctors, nurses, hospital workers, and all the other support staff helping out the sick and the healthy. When you hit the grocery store, for example, let the workers know you appreciate them keeping the food on our table. Please don't drink bleach, Drano, hand sanitizer, or any other cleaning products. I'm not a doctor, but trust me on this one. Hope you and your family and friends are healthy and safe, and I'll see you next week. Peace.
1: The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise-Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.
0: Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too.